This evening we turn one last time to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, we begin with the last verse of chapter 12 in our reading. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. That's the verse that we consider tonight. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle returns back to something that he said in chapter 8 in our text. One of the characteristics, one of the things that makes love the most excellent virtue and grace, namely that it abides. When the Apostle says, that love abides, he means the exact same thing that he meant in chapter 8 when he said, charity never faileth, that it shall not vanish away like these other things. And if you ask why now does he return back to that, it's because it's the main point. And because also, we may have become distracted and could lose our focus by what he said in between our verse and verse 8. Think of the wonderful, amazing things that he said there, who thought that prophecy or knowledge would go away, would not abide in the way that he talked about even more so he talks about seeing God face to face and being known even as we are known. One might easily 
and rightly stop and pause and think about that. But then in thinking about that, lose focus on the main point, which is that what makes charity or love so great, the most excellent of all virtues, is that it abides. Now he states things slightly different. There is a difference. Previously he had placed it in the negative. Love does not fail. It never fails. And now he puts it in the positive. It abides. He's emphasizing. And before, when he said it does not fail, he had compared it to some things. And those things all fail. He had compared love and says it's most excellent because it alone abides of these certain things like prophecy and knowledge. And now, and now, he's going to compare it to two things that also abides. Now abides not just love, but faith and hope. He's advancing the argument. He's advancing the comparison. That means that he's not simply repeating himself. He's not simply emphasizing. What's going on here is he is making one grand conclusion of all his arguments. He's taking everything that he said, everything, and summarizing it and bringing it to a climax. And that's why our text begins the way it does. And now. And now. Take everything that I said. Summarize it. Put it together. There's only one conclusion to make. And that is, love is simply the greatest. It's supremely great. Greater than anything. Even faith and hope. The Apostle does this by inspiration, of course, because perhaps perhaps we still doubt. Perhaps we still disagree. Perhaps after all this we say, well, that's nice, but so what? I still happen to think that what's most important is that I be heard that I have knowledge and, and I be able to speak by knowledge and that people understand what's most important is that I have the kind of faith that can move mountains. What's most important is that I have such faith that I'm, I'm willing to give my body to be burned. Or it's not so important that my love, what I claim to be love, isn't all that kind. It's not so important that my love is filled with envy and jealousy that I often act unseemly. That's not so important. Or perhaps we're still not convinced that love is even greater than knowledge. Certainly, knowledge is more important. And the Apostle has to divorce us from all such notions. No, you don't understand. You should already know and understand that love is the greatest. The greatest of everything. And I'm going to show you that by comparing it to two things that are most great and wonderful. Faith and hope. And love is greater than even those. Consider with me again the most excellent way of love. And this evening it's supreme greatness. We're going to notice in the first place the comparison that's being made, then the explanation. The explanation for that greatness and finally the response. What is our response to that statement? The Apostle establishes the absolute supreme greatness of love over everything else. Love that is for the members of the church. Love that behaves itself as he lays out in this passage by comparing it now to the best 
and greatest of all spiritual graces, faith and hope. That's done deliberately in order to make the point. If one looks at faith and hope, any child of God can recognize that those are two of the greatest virtues and graces that the Holy Spirit can possibly give us. And if the Apostle can make the case, or even if the Apostle indeed just states that love is the greatest, then that's the way it must be. He couldn't make that case if he simply compared love to any earthly things. Say all the gold and the silver of the world. Suppose he said, take all the gold and the silver in the world. Love is the greatest. That wouldn't, wouldn't have the impact. Wouldn't, wouldn't teach really what he, what he needs to teach. It, it's not even going to do that he simply repeats what he said earlier. Don't you understand? That if now we compare love to tongue speaking and working miracles and giving your body to be burned and nice speeches filled with knowledge that love is the greatest. He already made all these arguments. He brings it to a completely higher plane by saying now, let's take the two greatest spiritual virtues and graces that you could possibly think of. And immediately the child of God would say, faith and hope. Faith and hope. Those two things. The apostle says, now I'm going to compare love to those things. Guess now, which is the greatest. These three things. There's a reason. These three, he says, they always go together in Scripture. You will find them frequently together in Scripture. So much is that true, they're often known as the spiritual trinity. The spiritual trinity. Even as God is one God of three persons, so when one looks at spiritual grace and virtue, one immediately goes to these three. The trinity Colossians 1, 4, and 5. We have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and love you have for all saints and hope laid up for you in heaven. Or 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that they often appear in that order, not in the order that they are in the passage. In Scripture, they often appear as faith and love and hope. That's because the Scriptures look at them Number one, according to the order in which they're realized. Faith is always first because faith is the root and the cause of the other two. Faith is, as it were, the mother. Faith is the tree trunk. Faith is the root. Love and hope flow out of, come from, are the fruit of faith. Hope, you might say, as John Calvin does, is the son of mother faith. The son that faith produces. And you might consider love the daughter. I have a slightly different way that I think of it. And that is seeing faith and hope as husband and wife. The husband who takes a wife and what they produce is a daughter called love. doesn't really matter. The important point here is faith is the root. Faith explains the other two. They are produced by faith. But we have them realized in time according to faith, love, and hope. Not that we don't have hope 
at the same time as we have love, but it's realized later. We love already now. As soon as we have faith, we are given faith that loves one another and loves God and also has hope. But that hope is always realized in the future. That's what hope is. The faith that is spoken about here, we must also understand, the Apostle is really upping the argument when he mentions faith here. You know he mentioned faith earlier. And the faith he mentioned earlier isn't necessarily a true and saving faith. What he's talking about there is the faith that Scripture mentions often that can be given to somebody whereby they know and believe that something can occur. Or they know and believe the truth of what they find in the Word of God. We often call it historical faith or miraculous faith. Judas, for example, is said to have faith. And by that faith, he worked miracles. Judas actually was able to work miracles. That's the kind of faith he's talking about earlier because he talks about a faith that could move mountains. Someone could be given such a faith that they believe that they can move a mountain and actually do. But that's not necessarily saving faith. There were those who believed Jesus could work a miracle on them, and he did. But the Scriptures make plain they they were not saved. And there are people who believe things that are written in the Bible and said in the Bible. They believe they're true, but they don't believe everything. That's not true in saving faith. But what he mentions here is true in saving faith. The real, genuine thing. Not the kind of faith that disappears, that goes away. It's the faith, he says, that abides. And we know then that this faith he talks about really has two components. Number one, faith is a living bond. A living bond that unites us to Jesus Christ, that joins us to Him so that we are one. And we therefore receive everything that He has through that bond. But exactly because now faith is a living bond, it's active like living things are. And the Heidelberg Catechism, for example, says with regard to that activity of faith, it is two things. It is, first of all, a knowing, a knowledge. The faith, he says here, that abides is the knowledge that holds for truth all that God has revealed in His Word. But it's not only that, because that could be just historical faith from a certain viewpoint. It's also a confidence that everything that God speaks in His Word is for me. It's not simply that I know and believe that Jesus saves sinners, but it is a supreme confidence, an absolute trust and confidence in Jesus Christ that He has saved me, that He has delivered me. That's faith. That's the faith He's talking about. True and living Faith faith that is a bond that has united someone to Jesus Christ. A living bond that therefore knows Him and knows His Word to be true and therefore trusts Him and confides in Him absolutely. And it is these things. It's not really that faith knows and faith confides, but faith is these things. Then he mentions hope. Hope. As John Calvin said, is faith's child. Faith gives birth to hope. It's really a good way to look at it. The idea is that there's many things that God reveals, that Christ reveals, that aren't yet realized. should remember that when we're talking about the perfect work of Christ or the completed work of Christ. There's only certain aspects of Christ's work that are perfected and complete. And if you forget that, you get into big trouble. The work of Christ that is finished, that is complete, that is perfected, is the atonement. 
but he's still working. He's still realizing things. There's, therefore, great good that lies ahead as I live and you live, as the world continues. Hope looks for good in the future from the object of faith. They're tied at the hip. Faith believes God's Word, believes in Jesus Christ, is joined to Him, and therefore anticipates, without a doubt, with the same confidence of faith that these things are going to be realized. Says, I know, in a very real way, I have been redeemed and saved in the past. I know and believe that right now, Jesus Christ is doing great things for me. Is preserving me and being with me and walking with me. And He loves me. But I also know that's going to be true in the future. I know that in the judgment, He will look favorably and kindly upon me then like He does now. I know there is a reward that awaits. I know that eternal life will be perfected in a way that it is not now. That's hope. And understand that it's hope that really brings faith, as it were, to its completion. When the Bible separates those two out, sometimes they're actually sort of combined so that you look at them and you can hardly realize what's what. But when they're distinguished, when they're separated out, the idea is that it's hope that puts a smile on our face when there ought not be. That when one has that kind of faith, true and living faith, then, then here they are. They're, they're dying Their eyes are closing. Their eyes are becoming dull. And they're about to leave behind everything. Everything they've lived for. Everything they've worked for. Everything is all about to end and go away. And hope puts a smile on the face of that saint. Hope is the thing that makes them say, I look forward to eagerly for what's around the corner. Hope is that which gives the child of God joy and gladness even when everything seems to be going wrong. When I've lost a spouse in death. Or when I've lost my job. Or perhaps I I didn't get what I thought maybe I should. Then hope immediately by faith looks ahead and says, yes, but what's coming ahead just far away all these things you see so faith and hope are most excellent and the way really to look at it especially is according to why they're most excellent and that is as the apostle says they like love abide They abide. Now that's not the only reason they are most excellent. If I ask you, why do you pick of the most excellent virtues, faith and hope? You are bound to say, because faith is the means or instrument by which we receive all of our salvation. It's that spiritual grace or virtue, that spiritual bond, that thing that unites me to Jesus Christ and assures me of all my salvation. That's Romans 5 verse 2. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access to this grace wherein we stand. It's what opens the door. It's the means by which everything that is good and right comes to us. Without it, you have nothing. There's a reason why the Scriptures say we are saved by faith. The fact is, you're really not saved by faith. You're saved by Christ. You're saved by God. So is it blasphemy when the Scriptures say that? No. The idea is, faith is the way that everything Christ has earned and has done gets to you. It's how it's transmitted. It's how it's received. Faith is the hands and mouth of the soul, we say. It takes, and it's just bringing in all the time. That's what faith is. Certainly. Certainly. The greatest of the spiritual virtues and grace. 
And we know, too, that therefore hope and love are also received by faith. Even those two are dependent upon faith, come through faith. You cannot have hope without faith. You cannot love God in your neighbor without faith. And then there's hope. Hope. I just described hope. Can you imagine being a child of God and living without hope? Having no hope. If we could speak as fools for a second, the idea would be you would soon have no faith either. Your faith would fail. It would it would fall away because you would find you have no joy, no delight, nothing to lift up the spirits, and your soul would die like your body. No faith and hope are what give us life and keep us going in life. But here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that he says they don't fail. And I say amazing because if you think about what faith and hope are and what they are now, we would think, well, they're going to fail. That's why some look at what the apostle said earlier about faith failing and say, well, of course it fails. Well, I suppose from a certain viewpoint you could say faith fails, but that's really not correct, not according to Scripture. We might say the form of faith changes, the present form goes away, that it's going to transmute, it's, it's going to change its form, and that's because we shall see God face to face. Right now, faith operates without that. And I suppose we could say the same thing about hope. We could make a good argument for faith failing. If, for example, I hope that I'm going to win the lottery, and then I win the lottery, I no longer have that hope. That hope is realized. I've received the thing that I hope in. So you would think hope would fail. But the apostle says, no, they don't. One of the reasons that makes them the greatest is they, like love, do not fail. There's a reason for that. A reason that's laid out even by the Apostle when he says what he does. These three, these three, these three. What he's doing is emphasizing the fact that these three always go together. They are inseparable. Now we should know this. We should know that it's impossible to have faith without hope. If we lack hope, that means we lack faith. If we have hope, it's because we have faith. But the same thing true is when you throw love in the mix. And the idea is that it's impossible for love to abide if faith and hope don't also abide. They cannot be separated. They do not go away. If you have one, you have the other two. And that's not only true now, but that's true even in the future. It's all three or none at all. And you understand that's there's a reflection of that even now. This is why, for example, the church will put someone under discipline. This is why the Lord's Supper form in our Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that a child of God or someone who lives in sin, who is an adulterer and a drunkard, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. What's the point there? The point is that you cannot claim to have faith, you cannot claim to be a child of God if you do not love God and your neighbor. Those two things are inseparable. There's no such thing as faith without love. So much is that true that the church has not only the right but the duty to excommunicate someone who refuses to love their neighbor and live in love. It's the church saying, well, then you don't have faith either, and also hope. The only hope you have is eternal damnation unless you correct your ways. That's how inseparable they are. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Why must faith abide? Well, faith is a bond, a spiritual bond, a living bond that unites us to Christ. Will we ever be separated from Christ? Can we be separated from Christ? Even when we see Him face to face, even when we stand in His presence, 
The union of faith is closer than that. And that doesn't go away. We will always be united to Christ. And therefore, that which unites us to Christ has to be faith. You see? Even even when it's perfected, even if its form changes, even if the way we believe in God and how we do it is different then than it is now, faith remains. Beside that, think about what faith is. It's knowledge that holds for truth the Word of God. That says the Word of God is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Is that ever going away? Is that ever going to change? Will there ever be a day in the future that we say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't believe that any longer. Oh, again, it, the form of it's going to change. Instead of looking at the truth in the Word of God, I'm going to look at it in the face of Jesus Christ. But the Word is the Word. I won't be looking at the Word inscripturated. I'll be looking at the Word incarnate and say, that's truth. And every word that comes out of His mouth is truth. That's faith. Or, or trust. Faith is a certain confidence. Is that ever going away? Will there ever be a time, even in the everlasting life, that I lose confidence? That I have no more confidence in Jesus Christ to do good unto me? Will there even be a time that I say, there's no more good coming? You see, now we lead right into hope. Not only is it true that faith abides and doesn't go away, but hope too. And that's true even when our hope is realized. Why? And it has to do with God. It has to do with Christ. God is the overflowing fountain of all blessings and all goodness, and that never stops. Will heaven, will the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth be a place where all of a sudden we're inundated with every gift and blessing that we shall ever receive all at once? And then the rest of our time we spend looking through the pile wondering what we have. No, it's not like that. Just like parents, just like a loving father and mother, we're always giving good gifts to our children. We're always showing them good. We're always giving them blessing. And with God, this is unending. It's infinite. And hope, even, even when hope is realized, even when hope stands before Jesus face to face, even when hope has received everlasting life and has received goodness beyond one's imagination, hope is going, and there's more and more and more. And even though it's realized, there's more. So it abides. It, it never, ever really goes away. We'll never stop looking or expecting good in the future. We will know God even as we are known. And when we know God, we're, we're going to say, that there's more. There's more. This is who He is. This is what He does. What's the explanation? If it's true that these are the three greatest virtues, and if it's true that they all abide, why now is love still greater than the other two? The answer is not because really it's more necessary than the others. The apostle is not making the case that love is greater because it's really the only necessary thing for us, the one thing that we have to have, but the others are somewhat dispensable. That when it comes to salvation and life and joy and happiness, if you could pick between the three, you pick this one because the others are quite as important. That, that's a mistake that many make in the church. They live in the church have membership in the church, they look for membership in the church, try to maintain membership in the church, and they, they act like they got to pick between the three. And then they read a passage like this, and they say, well, love is the greatest. That means the other two are unimportant. So we're not going to preach about faith. We're not going to teach about faith. We're not going to insist members live by faith. We're not going to present great hope for the future. We're going to allow the members to live in the here and now, because love is the greatest in the sense that it's really the only thing that's important and necessary. No, that's not the case he's making. He's not teaching us to disparage of faith, to disparage of hope, to, to minimize them or reject them in any way. How can he do that? Being what they are. 
still the greatest of the virtues. In fact, it's quite amazing that this passage takes faith and hope and lifts them up over all the other virtues, including grace and mercy. Think about that. Such is faith and hope that they include grace and mercy. Even when we talk about grace and mercy, which are absolutely amazing, we're saved by grace just like we're saved by faith. But such is the nature of faith that you will not understand grace. You cannot receive grace. Even that comes through faith. Faith has to be placed above them in a higher plane. The apostle himself, in many places, talks about the importance and the greatness of faith and hope. But yet there's a danger that we place those two above what is in fact the greatest of those three. There's a great danger knowing what faith is and the importance of faith, where we're taught what faith is. That faith is the only means, the only one. Love isn't even the means by which you receive Jesus Christ. No, faith is. Even though hope is what puts a smile and a spring in our step. Love is greater. And there's Scripture passages and there's whole books written to demonstrate that. And yet faith is and hope is not as great as love. And let's remember what the Apostle is saying. He's saying that your love for one another, let's put some meat on this, your love for one another as a body and as members of the church is more great, greater, the greatest than even this bond that unites you to Christ. It's greater than even the hope that you have in eternal life. Is that blunt enough for you? That's what Scripture says. That's what the Apostle is saying. As great as faith is, that without it you cannot be saved. As great as faith is, inasmuch as it unites you to your Savior Jesus Christ, and by it you receive every single blessing of salvation, the love that you have for your wife as a fellow member in the church is greater than that. As great as hope is, so that when you stand or lay near death, any minute could be your last. And your faith looks forward to the everlasting life opening up and glories that just simply are unimaginable. That which makes death tolerable and even a joy and happiness, the love, the love that you have for the family that you're leaving behind as members of the church or the love that you have for the church of Jesus Christ is greater than that. Now what's amazing here is the apostle does not give an explanation. One looks in vain for an explanation. He simply states it. And if you wonder why, the answer is because you should know it. You should already know it. As soon as he makes the comparison, you should think about it and say, well, of course. The explanation is, in the first place, exactly the fact that love is the fruit. The fruit of faith. And really the fruit of hope, too. It's the fruit. That is, it's the great end or goal of it all. What's the great end or goal of faith? What's the great end and goal of hope? It's love. That love is perfected. What's the great end or goal that God has for us as His children? The answer is that we love one another. What that means then is this. Even though love is dependent upon faith, even though love cannot exist without faith, love is greater. 
And that's not hard to understand. You, you have to think of a, a farmer. You have to think of fruit trees. You have to think of an orchard. Ask yourself, now why would, the, why would the farmer plant all these trees? And why does he take care of them? Why does he do all this work on them? Is it for the tree? Is it for the tree's sake? No, it's for the fruit. That's one reason he's raising trees. It's for fruit. Now it doesn't mean the tree's unimportant. It doesn't mean that he can just whack down the trunks and pull out the roots. No, then he doesn't have any fruit. But what he's after is the fruit. And it's the fruit that tastes good. It's the fruit that gives him income and pleasure and all these things. And the answer is that's exactly why love is the greatest. It's the greatest in the second place because faith and hope benefit you and really you alone. Faith, we said this morning, is very personal. It's really about me. Faith is me, I, saying, I believe the Word of God for me. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I have hope and everlasting life for myself. Faith and hope benefit you. They build you up. But love builds up the church. Faith and hope benefit you, but love benefits the church. Which brings us to another point, which is love is the greatest because it's not about you. Oh, God saves you. God saves you personally. God saves you individually, but He never saves you simply as an individual or a person. He saves you by incorporation into the body of Christ. And that is more important than you. The body of Jesus Christ is always greater than me or you. That's why you know there's a serious problem when someone places themselves, their joy, their happiness, their thoughts, their concerns over and above the body. No, it's the body that concerns God. It's the body of these members that Christ is married to. He's not married simply to an individual member, but He's married to the body. And that gives another reason why love is the greatest, because it's especially what shows the greatness of God. You know, in the church we can talk about the grace of God and how we're going to defend the grace of God. And we can have many doctrinal arguments in defense of the grace of God. All necessary, by the way. Because if you deny the grace of God, if you deny its efficacy, if you make the grace of God dependent on the will of man, then what you do is you take away the greatness of God. But when the Apostle says that love is the greatest, what he's saying, that's it's the greatest, not in our eyes, but in God's eyes. And you ask why. And again, it's because it's the end or the goal. It's the fruit. The farmer indeed goes out into his orchard and looks at his orchard and he looks at the trees and he's happy that the trees are healthy and strong. Got good roots. And the leaves are green and growing. But only for one reason. Because that tree bears fruit. Lots of fruit. It's the fruit that shows forth His good work. Well, how much more is that true of God? What really shows forth the grace and mercy of God more than anything else? When you talk about God's grace, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Look at His grace in giving faith. Look at His grace in giving us hope even in times of despair. And the answer really is when He takes sinners who by nature hate Him and hate each other, hate everybody but themselves, and makes them love one another to the exclusion of self so that they crucify self, that is the work of grace. And then you can add to that the greatness of love in the eyes of God. Ask yourself what explains ultimately why you have faith, hope, and love. You can say grace. You can say faith. You can say even Jesus Christ. Those are all good answers. But the Bible has a different one. The answer of the Bible 
is love. Love is even greater than election. I want to make a comparison, draw that one. Election is indispensable. This election, the Bible says, is the fountain of every goodness. You can trace everything through faith into Christ. Go all the way back into election. It's all there. And then the same apostle, through inspiration, the Holy Spirit, God says that it was in love that He predestined us. Whom He did foreknow, He predestinated. That's talking about love. If you ask even why God chose you and why God chose me, the answer is, before He even did that, He loved us. And love is the greatest because it brings everything full circle. This is the Bible's word about love. This is God's word about love. And the question is now, how do we respond to that? Do we say, so what? Do we shrug our shoulders? Do we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Sounds like you're disrespecting faith and, and hope, and it sounds like you have it all wrong. No. What does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? And there's a danger we do that. There's a danger that the church have this all wrong with regard to the three, where you have a church that says love is the greatest in the sense that it's really the only thing that's important. So whether there's faith and whether there's hope, that's unimportant. It's all about love. Nope, that's not a true church. That's, that's not the idea of Scripture at all. But there's a danger that we do not see love as the greatest. That we think to ourselves, what's, what's greater is all the gifts that God gives to the church. Being an elder and a deacon. Being a minister. What's, what's greater than love is grace. What's greater than love is faith. What's greater than love is doctrine. What's greater than love is miracles. What's greater than love is that I give my body to be burned. There is a real danger that our response to this Word of God is, so what? It's not all that important. And it's been a danger in our churches. And I maintain it's the reason why we recently had a schism. I maintain that that schism was nothing about doctrine whatsoever, but that doctrine was used simply as a pretense to express hatred for other members in the church. Love must be the greatest. And where it's not the greatest, then pretty soon I'm the greatest. Then pretty soon I can talk like a banging cymbal and a loud drum and think and think that that's love. Then I can preach sermons about making war and hostility with all the other members. That's all really code words for hate. If I may speak personally. And I'm going to do that because I hardly ever do that. But before the schism happened, I told my siblings this, only this. If you leave, you will be taught to hate me and to hate the PRC with a hatred that you cannot imagine. And they told me it'll never happen. Well, it happened. And ask yourself why and how. Supposedly, it was about faith. Faith, the only instrument. Supposedly, it was about giving works the wrong place, which is love, by the way. Now, certainly, it's wrong to make love the basis of your salvation and the means by which you're saved. But no matter what, love is the greatest. And where there is no love, you have no church. And where love is not the greatest you will have schism and division and trouble unimaginable. That is the lesson of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the point that's made by the Apostle. And it's the word of the Holy Spirit to you. If love is not the greatest, then what's going to happen is this. One day, you're going to think that you ought to be nominated and elected elder, 
and other men are going to be elected and you're going to get angry and bitter and say, the church made a mistake, they don't know what they're doing, they've rejected me, and find yourself signing an act of separation. If love is not the greatest, then you're going to find yourself at war with the other members. You're going to find it's all about you. Love, beloved, is the greatest. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for faith and hope, faith without which we are lost, faith without which we know not Jesus Christ savingly, and we have nothing, and without which we have no hope. All we can expect is eternal damnation. We thank Thee, O Lord, for these two great spiritual gifts that abide but even more so, we thank Thee for the greatest of them all, which is love. And not simply, Lord, that we love Thee, because that's easy to claim, but love for Thee that expresses itself by loving our brother and sister and one another in the church. And a love that shows itself to be true love by behaving exactly as love does with kindness, not unseemingly, that seeks not its own and thinks no evil, a love that rejoices not in iniquity but in the truth and bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And where, O oh Lord, we lack that love, where we sin against one another, correct us, forgive us, and correct us. For Jesus' sake, amen.